This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. I hate them so much. The tourists. They anger me. Especially when they smile and pose and take pictures. I linger near them and tease the hairs on the backs of their necks. They shiver when they feel my icy fingers dance along their warm cheeks. They explain away the random scratches that appear in their arms, deep in their hearts knowing that they seek to explain the unexplainable. This is my home. I was laid to rest long ago when the monks consecrated this place as hallowed ground. The city has risen up from a stinking swamp to gleaming towers, yet I am still here. I watch over the others. They sleep soundly, never to awaken again. My eternal rest eludes me. Of all the tourists, the teenagers are the easiest to scare. Caught between child and adult, they fear like a babe. They know that there are things in this world that their parents can't save them from. I envy how youth is careless of life. I wait until one lags behind their group and wanders down a shadowed alley, alone. I whisper curses in their ears. I reach into their chests and touch their hearts. Sometimes I wiggle loose bricks from the mausoleums and drop them. They always run back to the safety of their group. Long after they leave this place, at night they will lie awake, pulling the covers to their chins, exhausted, but scared to sleep lest I invade their dreams. The tourists should be ashamed. Don't they know where they are? This is a sacred space for the dead. Anything with a pulse does not belong. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every episode, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the beautiful necropolis of La Recoleta. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. First opening in 1822, La Recoleta is one of Argentina's most famous resting grounds. Some tourists wandering alone through the cemetery have experienced odd phenomena. The feeling of being watched, spooky whispering in the wind. A few claim that angry scratches appeared on their arms and legs during a visit to the famed cemetery. 
Many tourists visit La Recoleta to view the amazing architecture. The necropolis is truly an elaborate city for the dead. It's a 14-acre sprawling maze of narrow walkways winding through towering mausoleums and vaults. The crypts are decorated in a hodgepodge of architectural styles, including Art Deco, Baroque, Gothic, and Neoclassical. There are statues, winged angels with trumpets, towering spires, Masonic symbols, and stained glass. Buried at La Recoleta are some 4,000 souls, some of whom rest more peacefully than others. Several denizens of La Recoleta have tragic stories that have garnered them interest and fame after their deaths. During the Cisplatine War with Brazil in 1827, 17-year-old Elisa Brown eagerly awaited the return of her fiancé, Sergeant Mayor Francis Drummond, who fought under the command of her father. Unfortunately, during the naval battle of Monte Santiago, Francis was mortally wounded. With his dying breath, the young commander handed his watch to the admiral to give to Elisa. Devastated by her lover's death, Elisa is said to have drowned herself in her wedding dress. She believed that she could be reunited with the soul of her lover. Alas, Elisa and Francis were buried in different cemeteries. He at the cemetery of Socorro and she at La Recoleta. Death shattered Elisa's dreams for the future. Could true love transcend death? Could Elisa bend fate to her will for the afterlife? This is assuming their souls went to the same place. Most religions consider suicide an unforgivable sin. Not all of La Recoleta's love stories are about lovers wishing to be reunited in the afterlife. 30 years. For 30 years since 1850, Tiburcia Dominguez felt dizzy with rage. She gripped her cane and stood taller, lifted her head higher. 30 years. She would not show emotions for the relatives who came to gawk and whisper. For the last 30 years, her husband had not spoken to her. Not a bless you when she sneezed, or even a pass the salt. In fact, most of the time, he had simply pretended Tiburcia wasn't there, only acknowledging her when she stood in his path. Tiburcia felt a strange satisfaction as an usher closed her husband's casket. Now he was dead, and she would have the final word. In the 1850s, after a fight about money, Tiburcia Dominguez and her husband Salvador Maria del Caril began a war of silence. For the next 30 years, the couple did not speak to one another, even though they lived in the same house. Thousands of dirty looks, eye rolls, slam doors, but no conversation. Sometimes hell begins long before death. Tiburcia's hatred of her husband was so great that when he died in 1883, she changed her will to stipulate that when she died, she was to be buried with her back to him. When she finally passed away in 1898, the statues decorating their graves were built to face in opposite directions to show that even in eternal rest, they were not speaking. 
That's what makes La Recoleta so fascinating. Every crypt is uniquely conceived and decorated according to the owner's or family's whim. Some are elaborate with ornate columns. Others have simple crosses reflecting the owner's faith. Ultimately, the tombs are an expression of personality, an intimate meditation of how humanity views death. Here's a tale of how La Recoleta speaks to the very heart of primal fear. Please join us on a quiet afternoon in 1902, not long after a funeral has taken place. It's dark, cold, quiet. Where are you? You try to sit up and bump your head. There's a heavy marble slab above you. How long have you been here? You try to remember something, anything, but your mind is foggy and your head throbs. Disoriented, you try to rub your forehead, but your hand won't move. Your fingers, they don't respond. You squirm and strain and finally you wiggle your pinky and your thumb. Your hands sting as sensation floods them. You reach out and your fingers scrape across rough stone. You're lying in a box? You panic. Adrenaline courses through your body, wiping away the lingering stiffness, making your limbs tingle and burn. You scream for help, but your throat is on fire. You pound on the stone until your fists begin to bleed, but no one comes. You bring your legs up as far as you can and push, straining to move the slab, but all you do is break something. Time passes. You don't know how long. You think you hear someone pass by, but they seem muffled, far away. You howl and kick and pound anyway, but to no avail. Exhausted, you weep. Salty tears burn down your cheeks. With the last of your strength, through cracked, dry lips, you beg God and all his angels for mercy. But he turns a deaf ear to your pleas. They thought you were already dead, but they were wrong. You die alone, terrified, trying to escape from your coffin. Such was the fate of poor Rufina Cambaceres, who suddenly collapsed and died on her 19th birthday in 1902. Or to be more precise, Rufina collapsed and was pronounced dead by doctors, who turned out to be wrong. Her heartbroken family laid her to rest in the family crypt at La Recoleta. Soon after her funeral, Rufina awoke, terrified. She scratched and clawed at her casket for days. After some time, a groundskeeper noticed that her sarcophagus was out of place. Suspecting a grave robbing, the family requested the casket be opened. When the lid was lifted, Rufina still had her jewelry, but her hands were bruised and bloody. The inside of the casket was scratched, 
Rufina had died twice. The second time from cardiac arrest, fear. Rufina's horrified family built a new tomb. It features a full-size statue of a young Rufina gazing out at the cemetery while holding the doorknob of the mausoleum that trapped her. Rumor has it that Rufina passed out when she learned that her mother was having an affair with her fiancé. No matter the reason for her collapse, modern science suggests that Rufina suffered from catalepsy, a condition characterized by rigidity of the body, loss of sensation, and low vital signs. In the more lurid versions of the tale, Rufina's mother drugged her every night so she could meet with her lover in peace. One night, she accidentally gave Rufina a double dose, resulting in her supposed death. Of course, those who can verify such a tale have passed into eternal slumber themselves. Our story will continue in a moment, right after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to Haunted Places. Unlike poor Rafina, some people are eager to be buried at La Recoleta. The cream of Argentinian society slumbers here. Everyone from presidents to Nobel Prize winners to celebrated writers are interested in being buried among the esteemed. But if you want to be buried at La Recoleta, be prepared to pony up some serious cash. In 2011, the Sabelli family listed their ancestral crypt for sale. The asking price? approximately 256,000 in U.S. dollars. Granted, the crypt could hold up to 20 corpses, but its main feature is that it's a next-door neighbor to the Duarte family crypt, where former First Lady of Argentina Evita Perón is buried. Yes, that Evita. You can purchase other crypts in the cemetery cheaper, but not by much. People say that La Recoleta is the most expensive real estate in all of Buenos Aires. Don't worry if you lack the financial means to be buried at La Recoleta. You can rent a crypt for the day to display your corpse. Feel free to add a temporary plaque to proclaim your family name. Your relatives can show up in their best black and publicly mourn you, taking pictures for posterity. But for some people, that's not enough. Here's a legend that takes place in the early 1900s. A young man is bound and determined to take his slumber among the elite at La Recoleta. He digs. It's hot, muggy, sweat stings his eyes. At funerals, ladies in black morning dresses gently wave fans to cool themselves as they listen to the priest drone on. Sometimes they faint anyway. He digs. Today it's cold. The ground is crusted over with a film of frost. He stomps hard on the edge of the shovel to force it into the dirt. He likes the cold. 
Sometimes wealthy families bring flasks of hot tea to share after a funeral. The generous ones offer him a drink, and he can pretend he's one of them, an important guest mourning the death of a beloved family member, not a laborer with dirt caked under his fingernails. At night, he lies awake on the hard mattress in his cheap room. Lingering in his nose are the smells of La Recoleta, earth, heavy perfumes, and the stench of rotted flesh from when a tomb has not been properly sealed. He thinks about the mourning people he sees at funerals. Some are sincerely sad, but most weep loudly, hoping they'll be honored in the will. He digs. It's spring, and the street cats that live in the cemetery have produced kittens. His favorite cat, a black large tom missing an eye, lounges lazily in the sunshine watching him work. Muscles aching, he stops to wipe the sweat stinging his eyes. The cat suddenly arches its back in warning and hisses. He looks around, and he sees her. A child. A young girl wrapped in a burial gown. She cries, her mouth wide open. Snot drips from her nose. Her bare feet make no noise on the cobblestones. In fact, she seems to float just above the pavement. She drifts to an ornate mausoleum and vanishes into the wall. He reaches out a dusty, calloused hand and pets the cat, soothing it. It calms, begins to groom itself. He stares after the girl. More and more he sees them. At first it was just out of the corner of his eye, but now he sees them all the time. Sometimes even standing next to their weeping loved ones at their own funerals. He wonders if they know that they're dead. He digs. He grows older. At night, in his cheap room, his joints ache. The hard mattress does not help. When he closes his eyes, he sees them, the ghosts of La Recoleta, some old and fragile, some young and sickly. Others have horrific injuries, twisted limbs or gunshot wounds in their chest that drip blood. The drops of blood always vanish before they hit the ground. Lately, they've realized that he sees them. They speak to him, but it sounds like muffled whispers and makes his head buzz. He wonders what could they be trying to say. Some nights he drinks cheap red wine until he passes out. Even then, he dreams of them, the ghosts. Their fingers reach out, beckoning him. At dawn, he walks through La Recoleta. He likes the cemetery best at daybreak. It's tranquil. No one else is around. He admires the way the rising sun turns the cherubs on a mausoleum gold. He unlocks a shed and opens the door. A young man stands among the rakes and shovels. Half of the young man's face is mangled, his left eye simply a bloody socket. Though he is used to them by now, occasionally the ghosts still catch him off guard. He attempts to slow his breathing. As the young man speaks, a loose flap of flesh moves, exposing his jawbone. 
The young man sounds like the scratchy start of a phonograph as it begins to play a record. He shakes his aching head. He, he does not understand. Again, the young man speaks. Again, he shakes his head. The young man reaches out a hand and touches his arm. Though he does not feel the touch of the young man's skin, a cold shock travels up his arm and he shivers. He picks up his keys and loads his shovel onto the wheelbarrow. He's suddenly angry, although he doesn't know why. What do they want from him? He digs, slowly. The air is thick, making it hard to breathe. Overhead, ugly gray clouds hang low, swollen with rain. The cemetery is quiet, waiting. He catches a glimpse of his favorite ghost. He stops and watches as she glides toward him. She's an old lady, very fine, clearly a woman of great importance. Jewels sparkle on her fingers and her neck. Her white hair is braided on her head like a crown. Her long burgundy silk dress floats gently about her. He tips his cap in deference as she passes. The ghost turns her head and says something to him, but continues her walk. Curious, he slowly trails after her. In the field of empty plots, the old lady halts. She stands there, waiting. Nearby, leaning against the chapel, he waits too. Soon the lady is joined by other ghosts, hundreds of them, more than he's ever seen before. Young and old, some dressed in burial gowns, others in their finest. They all stand in the field, waiting. He holds his breath. Suddenly it rains. Ghostly faces tilt heavenward. Bony arms extend in pleasure. The cemetery breathes a palpable sigh of relief. The rain trickles wet and cold down his back. He sneezes. Though he'll probably get sick, he doesn't move. He continues to watch the ghosts enjoy the storm. One beckons for him to join them, but he doesn't. Although they are clearly happy, the muted hum of their words scratches painfully at his brain. He digs. The cemetery is busy today. Six funerals. He looks down to see that he's accidentally chopped an earthworm in half. The two halves of the worm thrash about in the dirt. Each will regrow into a new worm. But he wonders how many pieces a worm has to be chopped into before it would not regenerate. A funeral procession passes. He feels odd, twitchy, like he's going to burst out of his skin. He likes it better when the cemetery is deserted. It's quiet then, peaceful. No one is around except him and the ghosts. Today he digs quickly, his exhausted old body fueled by excitement. Soon he thinks he cannot wait. He's planned for this for so long. He leaves work early. He meets the artist at the bar. 
with a stub of a pencil, his gnarled hand painfully sketches out what he wants on a napkin. The artist drinks sherry. He sticks to water. His head already buzzes. Concluding their business, he pays the artist and they shake hands. He slowly walks home, enjoying the cool evening breeze. Passing La Recoleta, he sees a woman crouched on top of a sepulcher, next to a ferocious gargoyle. Pus-filled boils dot her face. She looks out at the street, watching the living world go by. She sees him, speaks, and beckons. This time, he can almost understand her. Arriving home, he sits on the hard mattress and pours himself a glass of red wine. He shakes a capsule out of a small pouch. The pill feels smooth and cool against the cracked palm of his aching hand. He purchased it earlier this week from a folk healer. He carefully empties the capsule into the wine. He swirls the glass, dissolving the light brown powder. He downs the glass in one swallow. Though not a religious man, he prays. Touching his chest, he makes the sign of the cross. He lays back against the hard mattress. His eyelids grow heavy and his mind dims. In his final dream, he wanders the narrow pathways of La Recoleta. The dead gather, they beckon and wait for him to come closer. When he does, they speak to him. Finally, he understands what they're saying. Welcome. For 30 years, David Ayeno worked at La Recoleta as a gravedigger and groundskeeper. The daily strain of being faced with death unhinged David's mind. He carefully hoarded his money for his own plot and decorations. When David had saved up enough money, he commissioned an Italian architect to sculpt a statue of him, and then hurried home and killed himself. David now rests in eternal slumber. Or does he? It's said you can still hear the jangle of David's keys as his ghost walks the pre-dawn rounds of the cemetery. Maybe David can't let go. Once upon a time, he longed for death to be counted among the prestigious deceased at La Recoleta. Now that his wishes come true, he longs for life and cannot leave the cemetery, his last link to the living. La Recoleta is a bridge between this world and the next. It is the dead asking once more to be seen and heard. Maybe that's why La Recoleta is so popular with the tourists. The living have a great fascination for the dead. Just as the dead who are not at peace have a great fascination for the living. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the Parcast Network. Now, our story continues. Probably the most famous resident of La Recoleta is Evita Peron. Although born into rural poverty, Evita rose to become the first lady of Argentina. She was planning her own candidacy for president when she sickened and died of cancer at the young age of 33. To some, the events surrounding Evita's death are even more interesting than her life. 
July 26, 1952. It was a sweltering summer's day when Avita lost her battle with cancer. Previously blessed with the title, Spiritual Leader of the Nation, Argentinian citizens deeply mourned Avita's passing. Over the next few days, several people were crushed to death by the crowds trying to see Avita's body, which was lying in state. An honor usually reserved for high-ranking government officials. Evita's husband, President Juan Perón, had her body embalmed and planned to build a huge public memorial in her honor. However, before the monument to Evita was completed, the government was overthrown in a military coup. To discourage public adoration, the new military dictatorship stole Evita's corpse and kept it hidden for many years. In a country that is Catholic, but practices ancestral veneration, the champion of the common people, Evita, was seen to be just as dangerous after her death as she was alive. Once Juan Perón regained power, he exhumed Evita's corpse from its secret overseas grave. Juan and his third wife, Isabel, then morbidly displayed Evita's remains on a platform in their dining room. Eventually, in 1976, Avita was buried at La Recoleta, nearly 25 years after she died. The military junta was probably right to worry. Avita's crypt is the most popular in La Recoleta. It's visited by tourists from all over the world. People pray and frequently leave flowers there. Legend has it that her tomb is booby-trapped so that no one may disturb Avita's eternal slumber again. The tomb's marble floor has a trap door that leads to a compartment containing two coffins. Under that compartment is a second trap door and a second compartment where Evita's coffin rests. It would be very hard for anyone to get in or out. We end on the most famous legend of La Recoleta, a story so popular that two Argentinian movies have been made based on it. Imagine a handsome young man casually strolling through the streets of Buenos Aires on a pleasant spring evening. Most people have gone home. The commuter traffic is quieting. The city center is becoming a playground for the young and fabulous. It's the magical moment of twilight when anything can happen. She was lovely, perhaps the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Her skin pale. Her black hair hung long and wavy down her back. Her eyes big, dark, and full of secrets. After a long day at university, I was on my way to meet some friends for a night out when I passed her on a street corner. She smiled at me, and I was lost. I stated that it was a pleasant evening. She agreed. She wore some kind of old-fashioned long white dress, I asked if she was going to a fancy dress party at a nightclub. She simply shrugged. Are you going to tell me your name? I asked. She smiled and shook her head no. Well then, I said, I shall call you Moon Princess. My Moon Princess. She smiled at me and gave a quick, elegant curtsy. I grinned. Though I'm sure I looked ridiculous, I bowed in return. <laughs> You're cold. Here, take my jacket. I took my jacket off and wrapped it around her narrow shoulders. 
I clasped her thin fingers in mine and lifted them up to my lips. I'll keep you warm. We strolled through the neighborhood. I told her of my studies, and she, being a history buff, told me how Buenos Aires used to be. At the plaza, I bought empanadas and hot chocolate from a street vendor. We sat on the curb and feasted by the light of the moon. The sudden ring of my phone startled her, and she spilled her hot chocolate. She dabbed at my jacket with a napkin while apologizing for the stain. I silenced my phone. It was my friend's, probably wondering what had happened to me. I slid my phone back into my pocket. I talked to them tomorrow. Tonight was for my moon princess. Holding hands, we wandered through the streets of Buenos Aires for what seemed like hours. Sometimes talking, sometimes not. Simply enjoying one another's company. Her hand was always cold in mine. Her soft fingers icy. I worried aloud that she was cold. Though I didn't want to be apart from her, I didn't want her to get sick either. The gentleman in me suggested that it was time to go home. She claimed to be fine, but I think she fibbed because she wanted to spend more time with me. Finally, I walked her home. She pointed out the charming old-world architecture of her house. We stood at her gate. Neither wanted to be the first to say goodbye. I asked if I could see her tomorrow, and she said that we'd meet again soon. I finally let go of her hand. She leaned in close. Her lips were utterly freezing. Something like an electric shock passed between us as we kissed. She walked up the path to her front door, shyly glancing back at me over her shoulder. I walked home in a daze, entranced by the most amazing girl that I had ever met. The next day, having forgotten that she had my jacket, I returned to her house. It was just an excuse to see her. The house seemed more run down in the daylight, rickety, almost on the verge of collapse. An elderly woman walking with a cane came to the front door. I asked to see, uh, wait, I don't even know her name. I described my moon princess to the woman and she shook her head sadly. You'd better come in, she said. Having refused her polite offer of tea, once I was settled on the sofa, the elderly woman pulled out a family picture album. She explained that her family had owned the house for nearly 200 years, and the lovely girl I met, my moon princess, was her great-aunt Luce, who had died some time ago. I did not believe, but she showed me a picture. In black and white, Luce smiled up at me from the page. She stood on the running board of an old car wearing a long dress, similar to the one she wore last night. I, I didn't know what to say. Luce's grandniece shut the photo album and set it on the coffee table. She smiled at me sadly. As I understand it, she was a lively girl, very popular. It was tragic she died so young. Cancer. At the end, all of her beautiful hair fell out. You know, you're not the first young man to show up at my door. She shrugged. I expect that sometimes she gets lonely. I left Luce's house numb. How could this be? Just last night she talked with me, laughed with me. I held her in my arms. 
Though I had not planned it, my feet carried me to La Recoleta. I searched through the cemetery until I found her tomb. When I saw the beautiful statue of Luce in repose that decorates her sarcophagus, I fell to my knees beside it. I'm not ashamed to say that tears traced a path down my cheeks as I caressed the cold marble face of Luce's statue. I spent hours like that until the last light of the sun left the sky, until my knees ached and I shivered in the evening breeze, until the groundskeeper found me and forced me to leave La Recoleta. Weeks have passed since then. I don't eat. I don't go to class. I know Mama is worried about me. But after seeing the disbelief she couldn't hide, I no longer speak to her of my lost love. At night, I wander the streets around La Recoleta, hoping to see her again. This dawn, I awoke in the cemetery, cramped cold from cuddling with the marble statue of Luce. But draped over me was my hot chocolate-stained jacket. My moon princess, she waits for me. I hurried home. I spent the day sorting my possessions and writing notes. I had some friends over for dinner. We joked and toasted each other. I laughed more than I had in the last month. Mama shared a relieved glance with my older sister, Florencia. They thought I was snapping out of my funk, that I was letting go of this ridiculous nonsense. But the family cats would not let me pet them and struck out with their claws when I dared to offer treats. At night, I kissed Mama goodbye and told her that I was going for a walk. She was a little worried, but I assured her I was fine. Wearing my hot chocolate stained jacket, I hurried to La Recoleta. The moonlight was shining softly on Luce's tomb, cradling the cold marble of Luce's statue. I pulled out the knife I had stolen from the kitchen earlier. My warm blood runs across the polished stone of Lucy's sarcophagus. I gather my jacket about me and look up at the moon. Soon, I will be with my moon princess, my love. For years, people have told tales of the Lady in White. She's the alleged ghost of Luz Maria Garcia Beoso, who died of leukemia at age 15 in 1925. The legend is so well known that young men of Buenos Aires have avoided picking up girls at the corner of Vicente Lopez and Asquenaga, where the cemetery is located. There are many versions of the tale, but they all end with a young man becoming crazed and heartbroken, when after a night of romance, he finds out his lady love is a ghost. Graveyards are a beautiful way of honoring the dead, a place in remembrance of lost loved ones, gone but not forgotten. But perhaps they're also a place where the membrane between our life and the next is thin, where determined souls can reach out and touch us across the great void of death. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, 
SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every other Thursday. We'll see you next time. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It's a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Candace Rogers. I'm Greg Polson.